Let's start with a brief summary. This article written by Paul Graham in 2015 suggests determining whether startups are default alive or default dead. Considering a startup's current revenue growth and expenses, determining whether it will be profitable until it runs out of money can be a key indicator of its future success. Graham points out that many founders do not ask this critical question, and this often leads to failure. He also states that there is a stark distinction between rapid growth and low-cost operations, and that a startup's rapid growth is often due to the product directly addressing a great need. Before we dive in, I want to share a quick note about how this podcast is created. As you've probably noticed, this podcast isn't voiced by a human, but by artificial intelligence. I'm obligated to inform you of this beforehand due to the rules of AI services. This podcast is made possible by our sponsor, Wope.com, an AI startup that combines content marketing with artificial intelligence to significantly boost traffic and revenue of your startups. For all the latest content, be sure to follow me at x.com, Higitkoner. Now, let's turn our attention back to the essay, The Survival or Demise of a Startup, Which is the Default? Original title, Default Alive or Default Dead. Date, October 2015. When I talk to a startup that's been operating for more than eight or nine months, the first thing I want to know is almost always the same. Assuming their expenses remain constant and their revenue growth is what it has been over the last several months, do they make it to profitability on the money they have left? Or, to put it more dramatically, by default, do they live or die? The startling thing is how often the founders themselves don't know. Half the founders I talk to don't know whether they're default alive or default dead. If you're among that number, Trevor Blackwell has made a handy closegrowth.telb.org you can use to find out. The reason I want to know first whether a startup is default alive or default dead is that the rest of the conversation depends on the answer. If the company is default alive, we can talk about ambitious new things they could do. If it's default dead, we probably need to talk about how to save it. We know the current trajectory ends badly. How can they get off that trajectory? Why do so few founders know whether they're default alive or default dead? Mainly, I think, because they're not used to asking that. It's not a question that makes sense to ask early on, any more than it makes sense to ask a three-year-old how he plans to support himself. But as the company grows older, the question switches from meaningless to critical. That kind of switch often takes people by surprise. I propose the following solution. Instead of starting to ask too late whether you're default alive or default dead, start asking too early. It's hard to say precisely when the question switches polarity, but it's probably not that dangerous to start worrying too early that you're default dead, whereas it's very dangerous to start worrying too late. The reason is a phenomenon I wrote about earlier, the fatal pinch, pinch.html. The fatal pinch is default dead plus slow growth, not enough time to fix it. And the way founders end up in it is by not realizing that's where they're headed. There is another reason founders don't ask themselves whether they're default alive or default dead. They assume it will be easy to raise more money. But that assumption is often false. And worse still, the more you depend on it, the falser it becomes. Maybe it will help to separate facts from hopes. Instead of thinking of the future with vague optimism, explicitly separate the components. Say, we're default dead, but we're counting on investors to save us. 
Maybe as you say that, it will set off the same alarms in your head that it does in mine. And if you set off the alarm sufficiently early, you may be able to avoid the fatal pinch. It would be safe to be default dead if you could count on investors saving you. As a rule, their interest is a function of growth. If you have steep revenue growth, say over 5x a year, you can start to count on investors being interested, even if you're not profitable. But investors are so fickle that you can never do more than start to count on them. Sometimes something about your business will spook investors, even if your growth is great. So no matter how good your growth is, you can never safely treat fundraising as more than a plan A. You should always have a plan B as well. You should know, as in, write down precisely what you'll need to do to survive if you can't raise more money, and precisely when you'll have to switch to plan B if plan A isn't working. In any case, growing fast versus operating cheaply is far from the sharp dichotomy many founders assume it to be. In practice, there is surprisingly little connection between how much a startup spends and how fast it grows. When a startup grows fast, it's usually because the product hits a nerve, in the sense of hitting some big needs straight on. When a startup spends a lot, it's usually because the product is expensive to develop or sell, or simply because they're wasteful. If you're paying attention, you'll be asking at this point not just how to avoid the fatal pinch, but how to avoid being default dead. That one is easy. Don't hire too fast. Hiring too fast is by far the biggest killer of startups that raise money. Founders tell themselves they need to hire in order to grow, but most err on the side of overestimating this need rather than underestimating it. Why? Partly because there's so much work to do. Naive founders think that if they can just hire enough people, it will all get done. Partly because successful startups have lots of employees, so it seems like that's what one does in order to be successful. In fact, the large staffs of successful startups are probably more the effect of growth than the cause. And partly because when founders have slow growth, they don't want to face what is usually the real reason. The product is not appealing enough. Plus, founders who've just raised money are often encouraged to overhire by the VCs who funded them. Killer cure strategies are optimal for VCs because they're protected by the portfolio effect. VCs want to blow you up in one sense of the phrase or the other. But as a founder, your incentives are different. You want, above all, to survive. Here's a common way startups die. They make something moderately appealing and have decent initial growth. They raise their first round fairly easily because the founders seem smart and the idea sounds plausible. But because the product is only moderately appealing, growth is okay but not great. The founders convince themselves that hiring a bunch of people is the way to boost growth. Their investors agree. But because the product is only moderately appealing, the growth never comes. Now they're rapidly running out of runway. They hope further investment will save them. But because they have high expenses and slow growth, they're now unappealing to investors. They're unable to raise more and the company dies. What the company should have done is address the fundamental problem, that the product is only moderately appealing. Hiring people is rarely the way to fix that. More often than not, it makes it harder. At this early stage, the product needs to evolve more than to be built out. And that's usually easier with fewer people. Asking whether your default alive or default dead may save you from this. 
Maybe the alarm bells it sets off will counteract the forces that push you to overhire. Instead, you'll be compelled to seek growth in other ways. For example, by doing things that don't scale, ds.html, or by redesigning the product in the way only founders can. And for many, if not most startups, these paths to growth will be the ones that actually work. Airbnb waited four months after raising money at the end of Y Combinator before they hired their first employee. In the meantime, the founders were terribly overworked, but they were overworked evolving Airbnb into the astonishingly successful organism it is now. Notes. Tin. Steep usage growth will also interest investors. Revenue will ultimately be a constant multiple of usage, so X% percent usage growth predicts X% percent revenue growth. But in practice, investors discount merely predicted revenue, so if you're measuring usage, you need a higher growth rate to impress investors. 2. Startups that don't raise money are saved from hiring too fast because they can't afford to. But that doesn't mean you should avoid raising money in order to avoid this problem any more than that total abstinence is the only way to avoid becoming an alcoholic. I would not be surprised if VC's tendency to push founders to overhire is not even in their own interest. They don't know how many of the companies that get killed by overspending might have done well if they'd survived. My guess is a significant number. After reading a draft, Sam Altman wrote, I think you should make the hiring point more strongly. I think it's roughly correct to say that YC's most successful companies have never been the fastest to hire, and one of the marks of a great founder is being able to resist this urge. Paul Buchheit adds, A related problem that I see a lot is premature scaling. Founders take a small business that isn't really working, bad unit economics typically, and then scale it up because they want impressive growth numbers. This is similar to overhiring in that it makes the business much harder to fix once it's big, plus they are bleeding cash really fast. Thanks to Sam Altman, Paul Buchheit, Joe Gebbia, Jessica Livingston, and Jeff Ralston for reading drafts of this.